If you have your Bibles, I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 6. If you're at home, pull your Bible out, look at Ephesians chapter 6. I want to read verse 13 again to you. Uh, Many of you have already read it already together, and you've seen it a couple of times before. And many of you are probably thinking, well, this is a common passage. You know, here's Pastor just kind of being, uh, maybe preaching uh, to us something we've already heard and so on. And you're right. You're right. It's just something we've already heard, but it's something that's absolutely essential uh, as we look at what's going on in our world today. Um, And I want you to look at verse number 13 with me again. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. You can underline the word whole armor of God because there is a process in all of this, as we'll see, uh, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Well, it's interesting as we look at the passage, Ephesians chapter 6 in its context, because there is much going on in Ephesians chapter 4, much going on in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 6, he uses the word finally, or, or furthermore, or built upon this, or finally, let me take you to what's actually needed in the area of practicality. That there is a need for you as an individual to be able to accomplish Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 5. And then where it's talking about children obeying your parents in Ephesians chapter 6 and instruction for the family. Now he's saying you are in a war of a new kind. And he's expressing that, that we have entered into a war. And I have been told since I was a little boy uh, that we're in a battle um, onward, Christian soldiers, Mark, you know, and you're singing the songs as a little boy, you're thinking, you know, I'm going to McDonald's afterwards. I'm not really in a war, you know, or we're having fellowship at church where I can play hide and go seek or whatever, you know, and you think of all these things that are happening and you were not really not in it. Or, or Soldier On is a word, is one of the m- most recent songs that we've heard, uh, put out by Abigail Miller. And so we understand that we are in a war where we're soldiers. Um, we, we, we have this with little children. Really early on, we talk about uh, marching in the infantry, riding in the cavalry. You know, and we're, we're thinking about all this and singing about it. We, we really don't understand the battle. Here I am all these years later. Why are we in a battle? And we're, well, there's a war against the saints today like none other. Uh, and if I was to focus completely on that, you would say, oh, what a dirge, you know. But we have the book of Revelation, so we have victory. We understand that. In the beginning, uh, there might be a difficult thing to understand. But at the end, we win. We more than win. Christ gives us that victory. And so understanding that we're in a battle or in a war, there are things that will help us to be able to uh, stay the course. One of those um, understandings is that we're not in a battle with each other. Um, whenever someone picks up the, the, the battle against flesh and blood, they are still carnal in their understanding. Um, I always say that dealing with differences takes spiritual maturity. Uh, spiritual immaturity will fight with one another. There'll be the the, 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 the backstabbing and the, the cursing to others and so on. And, and sometimes that happens even within a Christian circle. Now, I, I'm not saying that's happening here. That's not what's causing me to preach the message. If you want to know why I'm preaching this message, you're going to have to spend some time in prayer because God knows why. I don't know why completely, but, but God knows why. And so maybe it would help you to understand that you're not in a war with people. 
It's, it's a spiritual battle. And so if it's going to be won, and if we're going to be able to have the victory, we must understand that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against spiritual warfare that's actually in the world today. And it just seems like the spiritual warfare is winning at times. And we hear the news and all the junk that's going on and the cancel culture type setting that's going on. And we've got to fight that now. And we've got to push back the flood of, of ridiculousness by this administration giving out so money all the, uh, much money all the time. The truth of the matter is, is that if you do not work, you shouldn't eat. That's the truth. And so we have to work in order to be able to eat. And so whenever the government comes in and says, here, we have the antibodies that will help you, we'll give you a shot, then you're going to actually trust the government for the future shot. And if you're going to have a little bit of money in the bank because of the government, then guess what you're going to do? In the future, you're going to have to trust the government. Am I telling you the truth or am I lying this morning? I'm telling you the truth. And so the only answer is for us to go back and with all of these things that are going on and remember that finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord in the evil day. So when we're talking about being strong in the Lord, we're not talking about building up, um, you know, our muscles like with weights and so on. Many of you perhaps lift weights or you get on the treadmill and so on and you exercise. That's wonderful. We're talking about building up the spiritual disciplines, and the spiritual muscles that we need to be able to be in the battle and be able to continue on. Now, what God is looking for is people that will actually stand and face the problem face the issue. And I think it's important for us to know that we cannot fight this battle with our backs turned to it. We've got to face it. There are certain things that we've got to face. We have to accept our culture and realize that we're in a battle and we've got to stay with our faces toward the battle and continue to move forward. If we coward and we go back and we recline and we don't fight the battle, what is the next generation going to do? God help us. Amen? So there is a battle, and the intensity of it has kind of gone down a little bit. It's like a volume thing, and someone has turned down the volume of the intensity of this need, and most of it is because of the pulpits have lost their vision, and they think that drama is better than preaching the Word of God. Go back to this understanding of the Word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ standing there in, in, in places where he's weeping and he's saying they need a shepherd, they need someone that will show them their, he has compassion and mercy upon people and going from village to village, Jesus Christ had a passion that would not cease. He had a, a vision that would not dim inside of Jesus Christ. He had this desire that time was short and his intensity was clear. I think a lot of times we've lost that in some what of the battle we were in, and sometimes people actually run home. I'm looking for young men that will stand up and help me with this ministry. That's what I'm looking for. Maybe there's one here today that has a, a passion to do God's will. Dear friend, cross over and say, yes, Lord, yes, I will do it. I will be part of the generals in this battle, and I will go forward, and I'll be a volunteer, O oh Lord. I was thinking about a story I read about the, the Civil War and during a fierce battle in the Civil War, one Union company was fighting under a hail of bullets 
to, to, to take a strategic hill from the Confederacy. And after making progress halfway up the hill, the weary soldiers began to be discouraged by the constant barrage and began to retreat back down the hill. And they noticed that their standard bearer, who carried the company flag, refused to fall back. A standard bearer's job was to hold the flag over the territory of the occupied place that the army has taken. And they said to them, bring the standard back down to us, shouted the young man's uh, cohorts. But in despite of all of that, the fact that the cannons were exploding all around him and this courageous soldier was unwilling to yield even one inch. And he called back and said, no. You come up to where the standard is. Inspired this bravery of their comrade, the Yankees renewed their efforts and took the hill. And too many of God's soldiers are holding hands with the enemy and trying to reach the world by bringing the standard of the church down to its level. And God is calling us to be brave and for those to say, I'm going to grab the standard and keep holding it high because I believe we need to continue on. A lot of times we think about this and we get stirred within our heart, but God will give us strength to be able to keep the standard high. And God will help us to be able to teach and preach and walk in a moral way that we should be able to face a world that's full of sin and darkness. And what God is looking for is men and women of integrity that will help keep the standard high. And I believe it is getting more evident that we are in a spiritual war in this war ultimately is not a a tangible, if, if you would, but it's intangible. It is a deadly war between light and darkness and good and evil and love and hatred and all of the twisting of things that they're taking those things that are precious and saying they're not. And they're taking the things that are not moral and saying that they are. So where did all this begin? Is it something new that's happened in our culture? No, it's always been there. For some reason, we've been able to push back with God's help the things that are going on in the world. And there's always been the moral people that have said enough is enough. And I remember in the 80s, we had the moral majority. Remember them that got together and pulled together for the cause of Christ. And there was great unity among those. I think Jerry Falwell was part of that. Um, Jack Hiles and, and uh, some of those that were involved with that desire to reach the lost were involved with it. And the first thing we want to do really is take a look at this conflict for a moment this morning and see where it all began. There are passages in the scripture that give us this understanding. Isaiah chapter 14, let me just read to you a few verses. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend unto heaven, and I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north, and I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the Most High. But it doesn't stop there. The Bible says, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. And they that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms? 
And Satan was cast out of heaven with his angels. And he has been fired up since trying to get to you. Let me tell you something. He hates you. Because you have something he'll never have. And that's the grace of God. And the mercy of the almighty God. And Jesus Christ, then, of course, our Lord, has overcome the darkness and death. We know this, that Jesus was able to give us the victory. We sing victory in Jesus in our churches, and many times we sing it with an incredible amount of energy. And this gives us hope, and according to the Scriptures in Colossians chapter 1, 12 through 14, it's giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet or qualified to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. The Bible says in here that we are delivered from the power of darkness. So darkness is here personified, if you would, and it is presented as having power, or authority or sway over all the Jews and the Gentiles which had not embraced the gospel and being under the authority of the darkness then, they are going to go into utter darkness. And the apostle here reminds us that there's nothing more powerful than the power of the almighty God who gives us the grace to be able to continue on. Translated into his dear sons, of course, or into his kingdom is mentioned here. What he's talking about, that he has thoroughly changed our state and brought us out of darkness or the dark region of sin and darkness and then placed us in the kingdom under the government of his dear son. And that son is full of love and he has given that love to us. And then we have then the love for each other. And so when we're talking about this new kingdom in this war of a different kind, we're talking about the spiritual kingdom that God gives us. But he gives us then a way that we can handle this by a spiritual armor that he has set forth. Now, if if we're in a spiritual battle, and sometimes if we're not careful, we have imaginations that take us over. Even good, godly people that have been in the word of God could also be led astray even if, if sometimes the scriptures are taken out of context. And so what happens then is we have to take every imagination, um, the Bible tells us and uses that term, the Greek word is reasoning, and so we would take all of our reasoning and we would place it under the authority of God Say, God, I'm taking this thought now and I'm placing it under your authority. Help me use your word to be able to line up with your will. Now, the Spirit of God will show you because the Spirit of God is God. And so the Spirit of God knows the will of God, uses the Word of God to teach you so that you can actually make right decisions that are wholesome so that God can give you victory in your life and you can do that habitually. It is a process that you go through. You know, your character follows you, and you're really called by your character. I was dealing with someone just recently, and I said, that's not your character. I I know you, and I know that God is working in you, and I know that your character will follow you. That's why it's important for us not to try to make us, make you, you know, you can't make yourself uh, have a big reputation. If you're looking for, a reputation, go join Hollywood, please. Get out of God's work. 
Because God's work is eternal. If you want to make yourself popular, then go ahead and be popular with that crowd. So I want to give you some things to think about as we're looking at this particular passage where it says, Finally, furthermore, moreover than my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power, dealing with an incredible amount of understanding in his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the methods of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And then wherefore take unto you, look at verse 13, again, the whole armor of God, a complete suit of armor is what Paul is suggesting here, knowing that that would help us in the evil day, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So stand there having your loins girt about with truth. Verse 14. And so what we're talking about this is something that we all know is that this really is the believer's integrity that we were able to take on what we would call truth. The military girdle was worn about the waist, and the sword and the dagger were suspended from it. And so girding up the loins denotes a preparation for battle over the, or, or, or for active battle. Um, girdles were used as pockets, and as they still are among the Arabs today, they were used as purses, if you would, or the end of the girdle being folded back so they could put things in it for a purpose. In addition, the Nelson Study Bible actually says from the belt it hung strips of leather to protect the lower body. Matthew Henry says that the belt girds on or secures all other pieces of the armor, and so the truth should cleave to us as a belt would cleave to the body. And so we put on truth by walking in the truth, accepting the truth, uh, always living in the truth, telling the truth, loving the truth. And Jesus Christ said, I am the way and the So the spiritual significance is that God does not simply want us to point at truth. He wants us to wear it. That our loins be girt about with truth. And when I was in the Marine Corps, we had a flak jacket that I wore in, in Lebanon. It was what we put on when we were threat, being threatened. And, uh, and, and on that was a belt that was attached to the flak jacket. But on that belt then, we actually put our bayonets on there. We put on our, 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 our gas mask was tied to it. it. It was absolutely essential because all of those other elements of safety and protection were based upon the belt and the Bible's basically telling us if we want to understand Christian integrity as part of the need in this war we're in, we've got to understand the belt of truth. And when we're talking about the spiritual significance, it helps us to understand a little bit more. Not only does the belt hold everything in place, but it also serves to carry the sheath the sword of the Spirit, and some people have a sword uh, of, of God's Word, but without the belt of truth, it may become reckless. And sometimes, if we're not careful, we may come up to the wrong conclusion. That's why we need to dive into the Scriptures living in the truth. 
not holding the word of God deceitfully, but holding the word of God in our hands and upholding it as a Sunday school teacher and as a pastor and as a deacon in our ministry to be able to know that the word of God is held in the hands of those that are true to God and true to the cause of Christ. That's what's needed. Truth is the baseline or the foundation of the Christian life. And remember, the truth is to be loved. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also they that have known the truth, and for the truth's sakes which dwell in us, and shall be with us forever. I am so thankful for the truth. Many of us are longing for it. Somebody that would truthfully talk to us and tell us the truth. Sometimes in our counseling world we live in today, people try to counsel others without the word of God. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law did he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, and his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The word of God is true, and the word of God is needed, first of all, when it comes to this armor. That's the believer's integrity. And then he mentions the believer's purity. The breastplate of righteousness. Look what the Bible says. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. This is the believer's purity. The breastplate was an important article of defense that protected the front torso of all the vital organs from a mortal wound. Back in 1979, it was late July and I had just turned 18, I had a motorcycle, and I had an accident, and I ended up in the hospital. I ended up in the hospital for 62 days, and I was in the burning unit. And they were constantly bringing burned patients to the hospital. I got to see all these patients. I was in a wheelchair. I was right heading to Hiles Anderson College. I was 18. As an 18-year-old young man, I saw people that had been burned, and it just made a difference in my life telling you hell is going to be a horrible place. And I'll tell you what, all we want to do is keep people from hell. That's what we should be doing by telling people the truth. There was one fellow that wanted me to be in the room while he took skin out of a liquid nitrogen tank and put it over his stomach because all of his organs were exposed because it was burned. And, and so they had to protect those organs. And I went into the room, took him by the hand. I, I was just 18, but I was already pastoring at that time, didn't even realize it. But I was in that room with that young man, and I was thinking, he looks, he's going to make it. He's going to be okay. And, you know, he did live. I don't know where he's at today, but for some reason, he wanted to be in that room. He took more skin out and put it on his face to help protect his face because he had burns on his face. You say, well, that's a horrible thing. You know, when it comes to the breastplate of righteousness, what Paul was interested in is for you to protect your vital organs from the enemy. What's your most vital organ in your chest, your heart? Oh, they need to... 
we all need to understand that it needs to remain pure. And how do we how do we stay pure in an impure world? I mean, even some of the commercials my great grandfather would cringe at today, turn his head and say, I can't look at that. And here we are so desensitized as men. Oh, that we would be pure like Jesus. And that our eyes would be glaring into the eyes of someone else and saying to them, you too can be pure through Jesus Christ. You too can walk the way that's true and you can walk in the light. And so it's important for us to understand that vital organ is being protected and it often is composed of a soldier, a solid piece of metal. And then it also would contain numerous small pieces that were sewn together by cloth or leather that overlapped it, overlapped like fishing scales. And these scales could number from 700 to 1,000 per coat. And the sun shone directly on the armor. It could actually be very hot. And so to avoid it, they would often wear under armor. They have a under armor today. And you can buy sweatshirts or whatever, and it says under armor on it or whatever. Skin tight, they, they run with it on and so on. And it was taken from this understanding In other words, wearing the breastplate of righteousness is always in partnership with the robe of Jesus Christ. And how that we must understand this, I put on righteousness, Job said, 29, 14, and it clothed me. My judgment was as a robe and a diadem. And also keep in mind that the high priest wore a golden breastplate over his linen that was set with 12 precious stones which inscribed the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And this place represented the nearness of the heart. In Exodus 28, 29, And Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart. And he that goeth in unto the holy place for a memorial before the Lord continually. And so the only way we can experience victory in the battle against the devil is through the confidence of the righteousness of Jesus Christ and not our own, not one stitch of our own righteousness will protect us from the enemy, only the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Zechariah 3, 1 through 5, and you show me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing on his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, the Lord rebuke thee, O Satan, even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments. It stood before the angel And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee and change the raiment. And I said, Let them set a fair miter on his head. So they set a fair miter upon his head and clothed him with the garments. And the angel of the Lord stood by And the garment of righteousness was placed upon us when Jesus Christ gave us his righteousness. 
The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, verse number 7, and by the word of truth, by the power of God, and by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Romans 5, 17 says, for it be one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they receive abundance of grace of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. In Romans 4.13, in the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham for, or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. You see, what happened when you got saved was Jesus Christ gave you his righteousness. It was imputed unto you. You see, all of earth looks at you and says, there's a sinner. And you can remember the story in Luke chapter 7 and verse 36 through 50 where the woman was there in the house of the Pharisees and they said, if Jesus knew what kind of woman that was, he would not let her touch him. That was their thinking. This could not be the Messiah because the sinner's touching him. Well, let me tell you something, dear friend, that's completely opposite of what the scripture teaches. If we know that we're filthy, we can come to Jesus because our righteousness will never be good enough. I need Jesus. Show me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Amen? Amen. So we get to this place where we understand this and his righteousness was imputed unto us. I put on his righteousness every day when I get up and I go out that door and I go into face the world and I'm not going to shy away from it. God called me to preach the truth and I will preach the truth until I die, but I will always face it. We need people that'll stand up and face it today. The culture's horrible, but we need Christians to stand up and do what's right. What a wonderful blessing it is to have a local church like this. I'm telling you, folks, we should have a church that's 10 times this size. Because we need to pull together today. We need each other. We need to gather. We need to keep this thing going. What if we just all went home and did what we're... What if every Christian was like you? Where would we be? We'd be in trouble, dear friend. Oh, where is your passion? Where is the stirring within you? Where is the yielding to the Spirit anymore? Oh, God, give us laborers again. He will if we pray. The Lord of the harvest would send laborers. If you're wondering about what to do, get on board. This train is going, dear friend, and we're going to continue on. I know I've been here 23 years, but I think I'm almost halfway done. God will give me some more years. The Bible says here in verse number 13 of Romans chapter 4, the righteousness is by faith. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say that we're supposed to take the peace. Look what the Bible says in verse number 15, and and your feet shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And my time's up. So my peace is depleting. Because I'm just getting the fires burning here. Let me give it to you rather quickly. This is the believer's tranquility, the gospel of peace. In the Bible, the foot is a symbol for direction as you walk. Walk of a person's life and having our foot shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace gives us good footing prevents us from backsliding as we become involved with the spreading of the good news of Jesus Christ. You show me one soul winner, I'll show you a person who's not backslidden. 
Interesting how the Bible says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet that to him that bringeth good tidings and that publish peace and that bring good tidings uh, and that publish salvation. The saith unto Zion, God reigns. Romans chapter 10, verse number 15, and how shall they preach except they be sent? For it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings, good joy. And I, I don't think it's just talking about the gospel too here. I think our feet ought to, you know, I had a hard time tying my shoes this morning. Don't ever break your fingers because you can't do things. Sometimes you feel crippled. My wife did this this morning for me. Thank you, honey. I couldn't do this. It's like frustrating. You know, I said, how long? Not until June 11th. I can't take this brace off. Sometimes I take it off and I'm not supposed to. You know, it's hard to do things. But every time I put my shoes on, I want to remember that my feet are supposed to be shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Okay? And it's not just getting the gospel out. It's when I leave that room, I better leave peace behind. Do you want to come in and stir up things and agitate people because you want to become them to become like you are? It should be just the opposite. You should be so full of peace that when you walk into a room, when you leave it, peace, peace is left behind. I was in a room recently where a fellow was passing away and coughing up blood going to die soon. I took him. I showed him the gospel of Jesus Christ. I had him pray and he received Christ. And then I prayed. And then I prayed, oh God, would your peace come into this room? And when I walked out of that room, I was going to go get a burger someplace. I was thinking, I left peace behind. I left peace behind because I left Jesus behind in that room. It's important for us to understand this. If we're going to be able to withstand in the evil day, we got to have these things. That's, that's our, our tranquility. But I want you to look at one more thing. And this, this, is, this is important. And this is where, this is where I, I... Look what the Bible says in verse, verse number 16. And above all, to take the shield of faith. And again, the shield of faith is going to help us to be able to continue on at times. And I think the shield of faith will give us the ability to say things for certain. And so the shield of faith is the believer's certainty. Then it says the helmet of salvation, and this is the believer's sanity. <laughs> you say, well, I'm as sane as can be. No, you're not. You think you are because you have an exaggerated opinion of yourself. But sometimes things that come out of your mouth don't make sense. Things that come out of my mouth don't make sense at times. But let me tell you something. What we need is the helmet of salvation when you protect our brain. And salvation does that. The security of your salvation, the longevity that he has sealed you until the day of redemption. Did you know that fear, a person who thinks they lost their salvation, that fear can actually control a person where they can lose their mind? It can happen. So we go back to the understanding, the believer's sanity, the helmet. And the helmet was made of bronze and it was equipped with a piece of armor and we're It was made to protect not only the head, but also the cheeks and the jaw. It was extremely heavy. But when they had the helmet on, they could go into battle and face the enemy. And lastly, I think second to lastly, 
the believer's authority, the sword of the Spirit. You see, I don't come to you and stand before you with my own thinking. I come before you with the Word of God. And God says in His Word that we have the armor that we need through Him. And when we put the armor on, it's not for just show. You know, I've got a little armor guy in my office, and some people commented it recently. I got it at a garage sale for five bucks. thought it was pretty cool. It's got the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of right. has all of that. The feet shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace has all of that. To remember that if I'm going to face any issue that I have, I must do it with the armor of God. And the believer's authority is the word of God. The introduction in Luke is very clear that Luke said, I give to these things to you, O Theopolis, that you may know the certainty of these things I have written unto you in order, in an orderly fashion, I know for certain that what I'm showing you now in the scriptures is from the God of heaven. And he will give you the power to be on, to, to continue on and then we talk about, lastly, verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication and in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. I really believe this is the believer's intensity. You show me a praying person, I'll show you an intense Christian. Someone who walks by faith, sings by faith, talks with faith. Everything about them says the faith of God will continue on if we pray. None will stand firm under the banner of Christ and fight perseveringly and successfully with Satan and his allies, but those who rely upon the strength of Christ and they will clothe themselves with the armor of God and then taking the Bible as their guide, habitually seeking the presence of the Holy Spirit under a leader who never was and never will be overcome, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's ahead of the church, they may go triumphantly down the road and they will be able to face it. Dear friend, if I could encourage you today, there are people that are completely dedicated to the cause of Christ. We've gotten to the place where the Almighty Buck is speaking louder than God. We've gotten to the place where our culture has accepted money over God. And you can't serve two masters. Remember that? We're talking about Matthew chapter 6, verse number 33, that if we would get our priorities in line with God, he will give us success in every area. That we would not be making decisions based upon how much money you would make where you're going to live. You need to live where God has placed you so that you can reach people for Jesus Christ. I want you to know that God wants you to take, he wants you to take care of your home's men. He does. He desires for that. But you need to lead your family in devotions. Lead them back to the Lord every opportunity you get. And if they're not in church with you, every time you get together to pray, pray longer prayers. And pray, even if it's just for a meal, Oh, Lord. Would you please draw my children to you? They're yours. Would you help them to seek you? 
Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Dear friend, if you're seeking the almighty dollar, you'll be miserable the rest of your life. If you're seeking the greatest position where people will have fame, you'll be miserable the rest of your life. If you're seeking more things to where you have a bigger car and a fancier car, God has given you all you need. We just need to say thank you, Lord, for what you've given me. I hope the message helped you tonight because we've got to have people to face it. Things are getting weird. But I'm going to face it with God's help and God's armor. Your head bowed. Let's pray. Father, every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you're here today. You say, Pastor Howell, I needed the message. I am born again. I know Jesus is my Savior, but I've been going in the wrong direction. And the Lord showed me today in His Word some changes I need to make. So maybe the message was for you. Maybe you feel a prompting to come forward and talk to God about it. Maybe it's been a long time since you walked down an aisle at a church and knelt down at an old-fashioned altar and said, Here I am, Lord. Maybe you've never done it. Maybe you sense the, the leading of God to just give all of your heart to him today. Maybe you're here and you hear my voice and you're thinking, I've never received Jesus yet. I, I know who he is, but I've never received him. I'm not saved. I'm not sure I'm going to heaven when I die. Then let somebody show you from the scriptures how you can know for sure from the scriptures how you can go to heaven. These things I write unto you that you may know you have eternal life. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you knew that you knew that you knew you were going to heaven? God will show you from his word. And if you're a woman, I'll have a woman show you. And if you're a man, I'll have a man show you. But maybe you're here today and it's for something else. Why don't you come? God has already spoke to your heart with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just stand to your feet, no one looking around. We're going to have what we call an invitation, and if you need to come, you come. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.